right, well, today is Easter Sunday. You know this. Perhaps you're here because of this. And uh, I'm excited. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, if, if you, you're, you're one of those who want to lock, be locked and loaded, you can turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I'm going to be looking at just a couple passages here in, in probably a few minutes. We'll dive into those. But every once in a while, a pastor is tasked with a message I'm going to share today. And we, we, we kind of orbit around these every once in a while. It's important for us every once in a while to, to preach a little bit of what I'm preaching today. And it's important, you'll know, that in any given relationship, how many of you know it's important to determine the relationship? How many of you know? Some of you are looking like, I, I had no idea. All right, determine the relationship. In fact, I remember... This November will be 16 years of marriage to my lovely wife, Kelly. Incredible. Yeah. We, we, have, we have in our audience today, in our service today, we have a couple celebrating 40 years of marriage. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. But how many of you know to reach that place somewhere, that awkward conversation had to happen where the relationship was determined? And I have a picture from a few months after I had that conversation. Wait, is that towards my wife or to me? My e- hey. <laughs> oh, hey. Caption this is silent right now, okay? You keep that to yourself. Some of you never coming back because I just pulled up that picture. All right. Hey. I've just reached a new level of stud in some of your <laughs> Listen, that, that picture was taken because my wife made me do it, all right? Those were our engagement pictures where, listen, follow, follow this, okay? We, we met in December. We were dating by February. Between when we met and when we officially had the determine the relationship moment, we had 10 coffees because my wife couldn't figure it out. Maybe I couldn't fit, fit, figure it out, but no. I loved her, love her, and I remember a few months in, we determined the relationship. Um, actually, that's a lie. First date, I determined the relationship. We had had 10 coffees, and I remember leaving the parking lot, and, and I, I, just, I just, it was like the Holy Spirit. I just turned I could, could hardly control myself. And I, and I walked back across the parking lot and I yelled, Hey, baby. And um, this may or may not have played out like that, but she came back and I said, Hey, I'm just not dating to date. See you later. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> and thankfully, she said, me neither. And that rush of adrenaline left my body. It was great. But we determined the relationship, and no kidding. So December we met, February we started dating, June we were engaged, November we were married. Praise the Lord. It was quick, we thought, 
until we met some of y'all, and that's long, okay? Uh, just, you know, God wires us all differently. But it was important. It was important. How many of you know the expectations were set once you determine the relationship? Some of you right now, you are cringing because you're like, oh, no. You just let my partner know that I've not determined the relationship yet. I want to apologize for that, okay, if you haven't had that. But I'm, I'm telling you, somewhere in the line, it's so vital. It's such a pivotal piece because here's what it does. It's a little bit like life. You set a course of direction for the relationship. There are memories we have made. There are children we have had. There are experiences we had had that would not have been possible without ever determining the relationship. And as a pastor, I know that this is kind of in the background of many of our lives. Many of our lives that we, we are kind of either intentionally or unintentionally going about a relationship with God. And in my experience, I've noticed typically there are three predominant relationships with God. They are fan, they are follower, and they are friend. In fact, I would almost guarantee that almost all of you here today are in one of those three. <laughs> the fourth is also an F. It's called foe, but usually they don't show up to Easter Sunday, okay? <laughs> so we don't need to cover them today, all right? But usually on an Easter, there is fan, there is follower, and there is friend. Here's what's so absolutely ridiculous. It's a two-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. Here's the thing. The standards, the invitation has already been set by your heavenly father towards you. It's already been set. He gave everything to be in relationship with you. Any given day, in any given moment, through the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we actually have an access point into eternal life, into the relationship that God has always wanted all the way back in Genesis 1 in the Garden of Eden. That really, the terminology is very similar between eternal life and the Hebrew of Gar uh, Eden, Garden of Eden. It's to live in intimacy. It's to live in relationship with God. We have access to that. And I think, again, if it's your first time, we're not going to do this next week. We do this every once in a while because I find it's important for every other relationship, every other theme, every other arena of life, it's important every once in a while to pull back and say, man, heart to heart, where, what am I doing? It's, it's spiritual and it's a little bit of philosophical. It's important to pause and reflect, man, am I fanning it up right now? Am I following it, or am I friend of God? It's important, again, maybe not every moment, maybe not every conversation, we don't have to determine the relationship, but it is important for us from time to time to peel back and just kind of identify. I want to identify, I want to kind of list out these. We'll go in order from fan, follower, and friend. I'm going to make, here's, here's what I promise to you, I'm not going to profile you. How about we just leave it between you and God? Would you be okay with that this morning? This is between you and God. We're not going to look, well, we may be looking to our right and to our left, but we're not going to judge to our left or to our right. 
We're going to keep this conversation between you and God. I want you to reflect about you and God. And Listen, we're not going to come up with excuses. We're not going to come up with blame. We're not going to, we're not going to try, to, try to tap out of these few minutes we have together. Let's lean in and let's just think about it. So, fan. What comes to your mind when you think of the word fan? Here's what comes to my mind. My wife and I, a good couple friend, we were driving to a restaurant. This is years ago when we lived in Florida. And the husband and wife at the time were driving. Kelly and I were in the back. And they are fans of a particular sports team. I kid you not. They pull up on their phone a YouTube video. It's called the hype video for the upcoming college football season. I was like, hmm, nah, you know. They play it. It's got this mm, mm, sort of music, you know, highlights across the screen. I'm like, give me a break. Kelly and I are like, well, this is such a waste of time. They start crying. No exaggeration. We were like, are these doors locked? Or I was, I was like, dear God, what is happening? Alabama football, y'all. Whole nother level. So when I think of fan, that's where I go. But when I think of fans spiritually, when I think of fans around Jesus, Jesus has a lot of fans. Culturally today in the United States, Jesus is still a superhero. He is kind of the king of fans, probably still got the greatest following of fans the world has ever seen. But here's, here's kind of how I just shortly lean in to fan. I define it as they're on Team Jesus. And its, it's relationship is benefits-based. And it's consumer-oriented. And, and, and it's really asking the question, here's what fans do. And I'm a fan and have been a fan, and the Lord still convicts me of areas where I'm living as a fan. And here's, he, says, he says, hey, 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 hey. How does this serve me? That's what the fan says. Because I'll tell you, in 2010, I'll let you in on a little secret. In 2010, I was an Auburn fan. I would share Auburn football posts on a new thing at the time called Facebook. I even bought an Auburn hat. That's what it was, a hat. And um, it worked well for a season until Alabama football came back and have not lost since. <laughs> and so Auburn football did not serve me very well when the team started losing. And fans find this relationship convenient to meet the needs of their life. Between their busy schedule all the tensions the world is facing, the cultural hot buttons, staying open-minded and keeping things as easy as possible. Their rules of engagement are fandom. When it works, 
I'll work it, baby. When it doesn't, I won't. Still happens today, 2,000 years later. John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, and I quote, I'm just going to bought me a second. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Here's a little secret. We've all had those thoughts. I know you have. When the weight of life is crushing, when God feels like he's forsaken us. Have you read the book of Psalms lately? <laughs> You're not alone. In John 66, Jesus is coming off of a high. Well, he's not. His followers are. He's just fed over 5,000 of them. Ridiculous. Miracle working stuff. His healings typically really up the following. But when you feed people, you know this. It ups their proximity towards you. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Thousands, picture it, were following. And Jesus is overwhelmed by the crowd, overwhelmed. He just needs to get away. So he gets away. And here's what's crazy. He sneaks to the other side of the lake in the Sea of Galilee. He sneaks with his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But here's the determination of these fans. They're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I think he went to Capernaum. So what do they do? They just walk the whole day to the other side and are like, hey, Jesus, heard you were here. They're following him across the lake. And Jesus has this sort of determine the relationship. He said, you're, you're just here for the food. No, we're not. No, we are not. And he's looking at him and he says, no, no, I, I think you are. What, 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 how, how will you respond when suffering comes your way? How, how, how are you going to handle the inconvenience of living with me at the center? How, how, how are you going to respond when you see me on the cross? And you're going to be called to carry a cross. And how are you going to respond when you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood? And they're like, O-M. Unfollow. <laughs> it's like, snooze for 30 days. I'm going to see you next month. You know, they're like, oh, I think we're out. I think we're out. And we get John 6, 66. You know, favorite three numbers. This time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Truth be told, I think we've all done that from time to time. But today, I just want you to think about which place, which space are you in? Fan, follower. Follower is the greatest leap, the greatest trajectory, the greatest shift of climate, the greatest movement of environment is right here. From fan to follower. It's the most remarkable life change. It's like waking up in Indiana and by the end of the day, you're in Rome. It's a good time, right? <laughs> this isn't Oprah. Don't get too excited. We're not handing out plane tickets. <laughs> but it's, it, is, it is the total shift. It is the biggest shift from fan to follower. And, 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 and 
For followers, the major transition is from being a fan. Jesus and the scriptures become their central story of life. They're learning, relearning their new life in Christ. Hard days happen, but they pick themselves up again. They make mistakes, but they fumble forward, discovering the nature of God. They're practicing the ways of Jesus. They've lost some friends along the way. They've lost some money along the way. Amen. They've lost some prestige along the way. Amen and amen. But they tell you they gained everything instead if Jesus said it they practice it they make mistakes some days they are the ultimate hypocrite but they never lose sight of the mercy of God we interviewed somebody last week who's made This pivotal shift several years ago. I'd like to show their video, and then I'll wrap up. I grew up in a family where two things were predominant, music and alcohol. My grandfather was a performer on the Grand Ole Opry. And he did a movie with Gene Autry. We have that at home. It's a real campy movie. He also died at 34 of chronic alcoholism. And I followed that exact same path. As a kid, I started playing in rock bands at 14 and uh, headed down that exact same road. Spent my sophomore year, entire sophomore year in detention at school. And um, uh, at 15, my dad told me, I give up. Just do what you, do what you want to do because you're going to do it anyway, so I really don't care. Uh, do what you want to do. So you give a 15-year-old a free pass. Um, I took all kinds of amphetamines. I drank everything and um, performed. We played music and sang, and I played a really bad guitar. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, just kept spiraling downhill until I went to college in Nashville, Tennessee and um, got in trouble with the law, lost my license, um, was court ordered to go to rehabs, did jail time and uh, got through that, came back here after college and um, a friend who I had met through someone else invited me to, um, to attend church. And the first few weeks, I just sat in awe of people actually being excited to attend worship. People raised their hands. There was electric guitar and drums in the church. I had never seen that. That was completely new to me. And on a Wednesday night, I... uh, I can't even tell you who preached, but I felt a tug in my heart. And um, that church particularly had a, had a big aisle in the center. And I didn't know this, but if you wanted to pray with someone, you turned left. If you did not want to pray and you wanted to pray by yourself, you turned right. Well, I'm right-handed, so I turned right. 
and I went and I was like, okay, well, I guess we just pray this way. So I knelt down at the altar and I said, Jesus, I, I'm sorry and I need to be forgiven. And those three words, you are forgiven, were profound to a guy who had spent his most of his a teenage life in trouble and paying penalties to be given a free gift and to say, you know, to, to, to just know in my heart that I was different at that moment and that he had given me forgiveness for nothing, freely, was just profound to me. And accepting that and saying, I'll take that. And from that point on, my life was very different. Very different. I remember going home and telling my mom that uh, I wasn't going to drink anymore. And I wasn't going to take pills. And, and she said, uh-huh. Good luck. Yeah. She said, you just... Um, you show me. Yeah. Don't tell me. My life took a different turn from there. I was 20 years old. That's been, I've been sober now for 38 years. And those old hurts, habits, and hang-ups um, have no hold on you. there to encourage you, to come alongside of you, and um, to help you in that transformation so that you can be a blessing to others. That's, that's the church. Hmm. Amen. Amen. That's good. <laughs> Bryant had made that shift and made that transition. Jesus, in John 60, verse 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he asked the followers, he asked his closest twelves, and perhaps outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the most vulnerable moments where you see Jesus' humanity. And he, and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Is that a... I'm seeing all the masses leave. But I've not stopped inviting them. And so he turns and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And here's what the follower's response is. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter started as a fan. I mean, I'm just going to let you know, if you have a bad day of fishing, and someone on the coast says, try the other side, and you're thinking, no, you're just ridiculous. And you have a little banter back and forth, and then you're like, well, if I can get them to shut up, let's just get there. And you try the other side. 
and you have a record amount of fish. You become a fan. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what else is going to come out of his mouth. But you're a fan. And you have a season as a fan. But this moment was that moment for many of the disciples where they went from being a fan to truly becoming a follower. And on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he said in John 15, verse 15, I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you fans. No longer call you just followers. Because they don't know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Fan, follower, friend. God's love for you and for myself remains the same at every stage. But our level of commitment and our level of delight and our level of joy and peace shifts as our commitment and our partnership with God goes up. It's a little bit like the determine the relationship in a marriage conversation. It's important. Fifteen years on, I've learned things about Kelly, and Kelly's learned things about me that, trust me, year one, we had no idea. My clothes have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things, right? But I say that, listen, you may be here today and you're in the fan space. Again, not a heavy, just a question. What would it take from God for you to shift to becoming a follower for that season? For this season of life, what would it look like? Is there a schedule change? I don't know. Is there a finance change? I don't know. Are there some relationship pivots you need to make? I, I, I don't know. Just want you to think about it. If you identify with the fan, think about, God, what's my next step? You don't jump from, follower, from fan to friend immediately. You don't. You need, we need, I need, I'm, I'm kind of all across the board in different arenas. But one thing I've said is that I'm, I'm determined for friendship with God. And I don't have time to go into the amount of insecurities I have to push through. To step into that beloved state. where God knows my name. The hair's on my head. The day's ordained for me. But that's friendship. And it's the invitation that stands. We'll end on this quote but I'm going to need it because I don't have it memorized, that last slide. <laughs> the truth about what is at the center of our lives and of our history is that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the tomb for our salvation and that you and I, we can participate in the new life 
is we believe in him, accept his mercy, respond to his love, attend to his commandments. It's a great purpose for living. It's all made possible because of the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to end in song. I want to invite Joel. I want to invite you to stand. If you're new at Hillside, something we do at the very end of every service, to my left and to my right, we have our prayer team available. Irrespective of the message or irrespective of the circumstances that may be in your life, if you feel the nudge to talk with somebody, to pray with somebody, come forward during this last song.